0: My guest is my colleague, Pete Blackshaw. So Pete's background, all right, um, it's very impressive here, and I'm just going to highlight it. I'm not even going to cover everything, um, but just trust me, it's impressive. Pete is currently the CEO of Centrifuge, the syndicated venture fund and startup catalyst dedicated to making Greater Cincinnati the number one startup hub in the Midwest and a top innovation center in the nation. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that latest venture of Pete's uh, later in the podcast. Pete joins interviews from Nestle SA in Switzerland, where he was VP of digital and prior to that head of social media and service. Pete earlier served as CMO of NM Insight, a joint venture between Nielsen and McKinsey. He also is an author. He wrote the book, Satisfied Customers, Tell Three Friends, Angry Customers, Tell Three Thousand. Pete is also an entrepreneur who founded PlanetFeedback.com, which is one of the web's first consumer feedback portal. And that is where Pete and I first met, discussing that feedback portal. Anyway, so Pete, hi, and welcome to the podcast officially.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Denise
0: our paths first crossed when you came to Campbell soup company almost 20 years ago or so and pitched the planetfeedback.com portal to us. And um, of course we were very impressed. And one of the things, you know, I sort of picked up on immediately and all of us did is that, you know, you were really ahead of your time and really um, had that unique ability. What's that?
1: Too Too damn early? early.
0: Yeah, well, that's
1: my next book.
0: Yeah, I think that probably happens when you're a creative like yourself, right? Um, But I know you've been successful at recognizing the need to jump in at those opportunities. All right, maybe sometimes the timing's not perfect. Um, In the case of planetfeedback.com, I think it was later sold, right, to another related type of company. Um, But again, you have that ability to see an opportunity, connect the dots, jump on it, Um, has there ever been any opportunities you think that you may have missed for whatever reason?
1: Any that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I think about that all the time. I mean, I think that's what always kind of keeps entrepreneurs up at night. Um, you know, there's certain aspects of the social media revolution that I wish I, uh, maybe got in front of, although some people call me a social media entrepreneur, um, you know, before I went to Nestle, I was actually working on a pretty exciting proposition called com. I still own the domain, um, and we were actually building a little YouTube of cooking, and I kind of put it on the side because I was going to Nestle, and I thought it would be a conflict. But, yeah, I do kind of wonder if I just kind of kept that on track, and I could have had um, – kind of, I could have been a leader in food theater, which I'm still very passionate about. So I'm actually thinking about bringing that back to life. But Uh yeah, there's so many examples of business models, but you know, the good news is that even if you miss some windows, there's just unlimited opportunity out there. The space is still very dynamic and unfolding and it couldn't be a better time for entrepreneurs.
0: Right. Um, Well, that's good to know. I was not aware of the Kachina.com. I yeah that because i that's italian for kitchen right exactly i I would totally subscribe or do whatever i needed to do to have access to that because i love i love all that stuff um hmm, interesting very interesting you know i was mentioning you know the industry as being ahead of your time and i I always know where i can find people actual and that is on the proverbial cutting edge as i would like to say (laughs) Um, I think you're also someone who. Were you the one who identified and coined concierge economy, or
1: I did? A big I did. It? Yeah.
0: Which one?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty important from a thought leadership. If you can kind of, it's it kind of solidifies your kind of being in head of the curve and. You know, I think there's always been a lot. I mean, concierge economy is basically a reincarnation of a lot of things that you and I have been talking about for many years around customer service. But I do believe that um, the digital and the social media age puts a special premium on, you know, thinking and acting like a concierge. That's the big competitive advantage and is emerging technology. AI rolls out, I think, the ability to anticipate needs do some of it in an automated way combined with more intimate, uh, high-touch ways is just tremendous. And it's just, there's a lot of upside for companies and there's tremendous upside for consumers who have heightened expectations.
0: Sure. Absolutely. It's such a great sweet spot there if everyone can meet there. Is this a skill you were born with or is this something that you've honed over the years? And I'm looking for tips here, Pete, perhaps for someone yeah. who is listening to this, Sees the opportunity that you're you know underscoring and would like to work on that skill.
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean recognizing something as a trend doesn't necessarily mean that you're a master of it. And I think a lot of times if I say concierge economy, sometimes that's a, a memo to myself that we can all be a better uh listener and then engager. Um, but listen, I think I've always recognized um from my very first interactions with brands that uh, customer service is a sweet spot of business. I mean, it makes people feel important, validated. Um, good listening leads to better solutions, better answers. Um, co-creation makes consumers feel like they are um, owners in the process, and that can have a very positive impact on loyalty. And those are just things that I learned, um, you know, over time. And as I think about my experience with brands the ones that have really won my loyalty have, uh, you know, acted and thought like a concierge at those critical moments. Even when I was really angry at the band brand, um, when I started Planetfeedback.com, <laughs> my wife and I had had a very bad experience. I think it was with, it was, I won't implicate the airline. Um, but we were traveling overseas and we had a really bad experience and we were like, ah, there must be a better way to kind of stick it to the man when we're angry. And then we kind of came up with this idea of, a of a kind of a digital concierge to help you write your letters to companies. Because at the time we felt companies were making it really hard to find the contact us page. Um, They didn't really want to get your feedback. So they made it really difficult and we're like, okay, we're going to reinvent that process. And in the process, we're going to collect really valuable data that we can sell back to Campbell's and others. So they will learn faster about why it's so important to gather feedback. So um, yeah. So I've been thinking about it my entire career and I even tried to, you know, digitalize the process through one of my startups.
0: Right. Right. So it's kind of like this, you know, combination of really being, really listening, really being aware. Um, and just kind of even using your own experience of how you were feeling, you and your wife on this, on this uh, airline um, to look for those opportunities. So kind of always having that top of mind, if it feels like. I've also um,
1: believed. I, I've also, I'm listen, I, you know, as I kind of look back on my career arc, I would say, you know, I'm a bit of a consumer freak and I've always believed that the consumer is my teacher. And, you know, Proctor, I kind of got my early training at Procter and they're one of those companies where, um, you know, there is an incredible value in just sitting down and listening to consumers and knowing the right questions to ask and literally sitting in his or her living room and just fully immersive, kind of understanding their own needs and opportunities. And, I think that uh, is something I've always really come to appreciate, and I'm still doing it. You know, I'm still—I still wonder, like, what's the next startup that I'm going to do down the line, and hey. and that requires uh, being really attentive. I think what's challenging today is that um, the way the consumers volunteer their opportunities or unmet needs, there's like a lot of different signals to process, and it's not always talking to them. Sometimes it's just observing them or making mm-hmm. inferences based on what they click and what they don't click, or even the, even when they ignore you, that's very insightful. Right, (laughs) I'm very motivated by the deafening sound of silence, even in social (laughs) media, you know? So if I post something on LinkedIn and there's like an hour that goes by without a like, I really start to critique, Hmm, what did I miss? (laughs) Um, You know, I kind of, or what assumptions were off.
0: Oh, you're tough on yourself, tough on yourself, but I like what you said and I wrote that down. The consumer is my teacher, and I haven't really quite heard that articulate articulated yeah. in that in that way. But consumer is my teacher. Love that. Love that a lot. Hey, let's talk about um, how did you view social media and its role in consumer care and service then, and perhaps how maybe it's changed today.
1: I mean, it's a really interesting story because, I mean, I think the art of managing consumers is to. Empower the advocates without pushing them. And most brands have Mm -hmm. advocates that are out there, but they don't uh, make it easy for them to express themselves. Um, And, you know, make make every consumer feel important. I think employees also are a very important part of the mix. I think that's really powerful because I think if you look at trust scores, consumers put a lot of trust in employees of companies. I think there's a... Mm connection there and um you know and 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 employees kind of really believe the company's doing the right thing or has great products that can be a wonderful reinforcement so i will say and not everybody who leads digital agrees with this but i believe this passionately wrote a book about it the the center of gravity for the new marketing is consumer services it is um you know Any CMO that comes into a large enterprise, that should be their compass. That should be their GPS. That is their influencer marketing strategy. That is their personalization at scale strategy. That is their recipe for winning with retailer ratings and reviews. Um, And I'd say that that doesn't always play out. But that's if I were giving anybody advice who's kind of taking a fresh CMO position, I would really – think critically about that channel.
0: Yeah. Um, Interesting. Center of gravity. Love that. Um, And I think, you know, you could have that as your North star. Not everybody's going to, you know, get that perfectly right because you have other priorities, but I think that that center of gravity makes sense. Um, I think a lot of people are talking about CX broadening in, you know, the whole CX journey they're talking about, I don't know, is it EX, employee experience, right, that you've touched on? All that seems to be, you know, hot buzzwords. And I think sustainability, as you mentioned, is another one of those hot topics for consumers that will, um, in fact, that was one of my other questions, that will eventually be an area that consumer relations is going to have to be very savvy about um, in order to Incredibly savvy. Um, hold consumers' yeah, no. hands, right? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, interesting. I'll give you an example of how important that is. Like, you know, I was really fanatical about taking the tens of millions of contacts and really kind of making sure that brand builders understood what the data told them. And it was interesting. I would always sit in meetings with markets or brands and I would ask them, I'd say, do you know the top five compliments consumers give you via consumer services or do you know the top five Complaints. Now, what was interesting, if you looked at the data, you would find that um, questions about kind of digital interactions or online commerce or questions about health or how to use the products were always bubbling up to the top. And these are questions that drive business growth. Um, and where i think things get a little bit tricky in large brand organizations is it's really easy to get seduced by the sex and sizzle of the agency campaign or the um but i think keeping that discipline to what the consumers your consumers that love your products that have questions about sustainability are saying to you is so critically important and i think the cmo of the future has to bring that discipline to know This is what the loud consumers are saying to you. And what they are saying is infinitely revealing of brand value. And what they are saying can dramatically simplify and reduce the time and the cost to find the answers that are going to build the brand franchise. Listen to the online feedback. It's all there. You know, how is the product made? How is it sourced? Who's behind it? What's the integrity behind the product? Now, the consumer service organization also needs to step up to the plate. And I think they need to realize that they have the power. I think generally they don't kind of like capitalize on the fact that they have the power of the consumer voice and they need to step up and ensure that the CMO or the CEO or the SBU heads understand, you know, the the knowledge. The other thing that I think is really important is to really understand how to market to algorithms. And what I mean by that is that um a lot as we move into an age of automation, algorithms are basically reaching into the brand content and taking the answers back to consumers. So think about how Alexa and Google Assistant really, really work um There's no consumer call center there, right? Those algorithms are basically kind of taking a signal from the consumer. Is Campbell's Soup trustworthy? Does Toyota believe in diversity? And they are kind of querying whatever content is most accessible um, and translatable to them. And you want to ensure that those algorithms are going to your content. Now, I've done extensive work around sustainability for hundreds of brands since I left Nestle. And what I found is that even for the big brands, the brands that have ridiculous levels of money and budget, you know, if you ask Alexa, Alexa, you know, is Tide, you know, uh, eco-friendly in like 90% of the cases, it goes to third parties, often activist sites. And it's not because the brands don't have an answer. They don't know how to market to algorithms. They don't Mm -hmm. know how to construct the content on their website so that those, those, Exploding, you know, tools like voice mm-hmm. or even AR, VR kind of translates them, and 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 that, you know, Denise is a, it means that the customer care function is going to have to get a lot more technically sophisticated. Doesn't mean you have to totally mm-hmm. geek out, but you're gonna have to understand yeah. how, you know, um, so, go ahead, yeah. I, mean, I know, I was, I was just like, gonna say,
0: so let's, let's, oh gosh, there's so much going on here in my head. And, Well, I think, listen, let's start with
1: really basic stuff. Um, Okay. I think think there's a huge digital divide between what digital teams believe is important in their promotional efforts vis-a-vis online content or websites and what consumer affairs typically delivers to consumers. So consumer affairs is often thinking about what are the most common questions, complaints, that consumers might ask, and how do we recover, respond um, mm-hmm. with as much efficiency and speed as possible. So, Consequently, a lot of the most basic questions that consumers ask are not easy to um, get answers for on brand sites. But then you kind of listen to that, and you kind of you instinctively, you go to the website, and you're like, I want to learn more. And it's just not easy to kind of get more. Now, you might get... Or, you know, you might get a PDF of a um, of kind of a U.N. report on, you know, you know, sustainability development goals. But it's not really simple. The likelihood that you're going to so get how, what you how really do we, want is, is not that high. You need to think about
0: that. You, I, I think your, there's got to be a, in your mind.
1: Well, I think you need to like I think you need to pay attention to the consumer services data. I think you need to really think about like what do consumers typically ask? How do they ask it um, through what channels are they going to ask it? And how do I need to present it? Like I think having FAQ data accessible on websites is critically important. Almost as though you were building a web a, a Google of your brand, right? And it doesn't mean <laughs> everything has to be on the front page, it just has to be in a knowledge base that these algorithms can capture. And then I think you need to think about how to then package the answer in a way that Builds the highest amount of trust. So if it's very clear that when I see someone, one of my former colleagues posting something with sincerity on LinkedIn about something they did in sustainability, it's like, Oh God, that, feel, that feels really real. Cause I know that person. So maybe the way you do it is, you know, people type in a query, like, and it's not just a written response. It might be a video response and it might be a video response from an employee. It might be a video response from some other trust agent but there's different ways of teeing it up but what i'm suggesting is that um this there's a massive amount of investment going into brand content huge i mean it's like it's probably one of the biggest you know across all the brands that i deal with but what i don't see is i think there's a huge opportunity to really double down on the consumer affairs content and mm-hmm. when i talk about the concierge economy. I'm suggesting that we're entering a world where the competitive advantage is just answering questions. You know, Mm -hmm. the barriers to asking questions are going down dramatically. And when I say the barriers are going down, they can use QR codes. They can use AR VR. They can voice out a response and are the brands ready to, are they prepared to respond? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that is just a huge, huge issue. Um, Now, so, yeah, so I think, and I and I, and I think areas like sustainability or health and wellness are really good areas to catalyze the effort because they're so incredibly strategic.
0: Yeah. Let me say this, if I can. Um, yeah. First of all, my script, I just, I'm gonna have to throw it out the window, basically, because this is all, this is all good stuff. But let me sit here. Um, we can turn it into several podcasts. <laughs> we might have to. Um, but no, this is all good. But the, let's just talk about sustainability. I think that I I I understand where you're coming from Pete. Is it that sometimes right now with sustainability because I know that's a hot one for you and for everyone. Um not everybody and not each brand is at the place maybe they want to be on that journey. And so perhaps that's, you know, some of the reason why you're not yeah. seeing some of that stuff out there on the deep FAQs and out there on voice activation um it requires You know, investment. So, you know, some of these bigger companies could be a little bit further along. And then a lot of people in the, in the audience, of course, is even smaller than that. So you got to work, of course, with what they've got and where they are on that sustainability journey. But I'm going to ask you now, how will, how should anybody, how can they kind of promote that agenda with innovation or whatever team that is? that could build those deep FAQs? Like, how do you see it going? Because not everybody now is in charge of being that savvy, um, knowing all the latest shiny new objects. How can you work better with those teams? How can you promote your ideas that you're pro- a proponent of? I think it's all good, but I, let's just bring it down a notch I to think my friends. Think <laughs> what can they do?
1: Leverage your data. Leverage your data and the stories oh, that are within the data. I see. Um, again, go back to that example. You could talk to you could talk to the brand manager that got the top con con Lions Award last week and say, "Do you know the top five complaints that consumers ask?" And so, how do you make them the hero by knowing? Because in today's environment, not being on top of complaints or even compliments is a huge liability. I mean, the you talked about you're right. A lot of brands aren't where they need to be on sustainability and that's okay. It's not easy to address really complicated issues like sourcing or an alternative to plastics or the water crisis. I mean, these are not click a button and the issue, but there are ways to finesse setting expectations with consumers and there are massive costs to your not volunteering, even the less perfect answer. And so the example I gave you earlier is that again, do it yourself, ask any question about sustainability or health and wellness on Google or Alexa and find out how many times your own media shows up versus a third party. And where I think things get really tricky is that, um, You lose control of your brand if third parties dictate all the answers. And so even if your progress on sustainability isn't where it needs to be, you have to be thinking about your opportunity to be part of the answer. Um, Got it. Because the reality is that, you know, this is where it's, boy, double down on your brand content, do everything you can to ensure that it markets to algorithms. But I think the other part is just using your data to enlighten the brand stakeholders that you have a critical asset that they need. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you another example. Brands spend a lot of money to acquire a consumer. If you look at, you know, some Mm -hmm. brands that are trying to build subscription based models might pay up to $50 in advertising just to get someone to click and then sign up. Mm-hmm. You're in the business where consumers are coming to you without prompting, right? I mean, they're literally saying I want to give feedback about Pampers or or whatever brand and and right. and in most cases they're giving they're opting in to being part of your database because they're expecting a response. And so there's a different set of economics in how you kind of acquire consumers and I would say even if you have to spend dollars to manage it through consumer services, it's a lot cheaper than if you tried to do it through advertising means. And that's a message you want to bring to the stakeholders. Like, Hey, we are acquiring consumers through other means. Um, the starting point for that personalized relationship is in our orbit. Maybe we should just ask consumers for feedback more, even if they give us some tough love, that might be a faster way to build a database. Um, and I think a lot of players in e-commerce are very, very good at that. They kind of know that that is a that's almost like an upper funnel strategy for building the brand franchise.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it? No, I guess maybe it's not this simplistic. But is it, is it almost like that old adage? It's it's cheaper to keep a consumer than it is to acquire one. A little bit of that, maybe not exactly. Well, I would say
1: that it's a it's cheaper to ask for feedback than mm-hmm. to buy a consumer through acquisition.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that.
1: Okay. Tweak. And and, and keep in mind, if you think about the, I mean, what I wrote about in my book, I said that consumer services is, is the neglected stepchild in the organization, partly because it's always been subject to this cost center. Economics. Mentality. Yeah. So, and then you've got like on a money on the marketing side, which is like, God, how do we find attention? You know, how do we, you know, invest in influencers to kind of, you know, and it's and it's and it's crazy. It's schizophrenic. And I'm like, hey, you know, asking the one thing I learned from Nielsen is that the consumers that give feedback are your influencers. Mm. You know, they're the ones that have outsized impact on the marketplace. There's a, they're the ten percent that influence the ninety percent. That was that was why when we started the word of mouth marketing association, we're like, oh my gosh, right. it's like the number one channel is consumer services. They just don't know it. Yeah. Hey, the sustainability issue is really complicated right now.
0: So I know that's hot for you. And um, I think I saw something, maybe you posted on LinkedIn. You were a judge recently. And was there a company that has a software that they're promising to kind of look into your grocery basket and assess how much carbon dioxide is emitted? And is this something you know, that eventually will trickle its way over to our, you know, consumer relations teams to be involved in at some point.
1: Yeah. The title of the article was, is, uh, is carbon, the future of, of shopping Mm -hmm. and, and, and the kind of the, the hypothesis was, is, um, you know, as products get more sophisticated, as they volunteer more information, um, is it inevitable that every product we buy is going to um, offer some type of score around its carbon impact, its environmental footprint? And, and I absolutely believe that will happen. And I think in many respects, it's already happening. I think there's real complexity around industry standards and uniform measurements and um, but I do think regulatory pressure and millennial demands are going to mm-hmm. expect that. I mean, you know, l- look at all the TikTokers on uh, that are kind of unpacking products with incredible uh, detail um, and, and the amount of audience that they're building around them. But, yeah, and one of the things that I mentioned that I was really intrigued with, you know, I work closely with Kroger and one of my favorite apps is called OptUp. And so what opt-up will do is it will take everything, you know, I might buy, you know, thousands of products from Kroger over the course of a year and then they will roll up a health score based on everything you bought and they will put it into like 10 different categories, paleo, um, you know, uh, you know, low carb, vegetarian, um, you know. but they have the benefit of the shopper card data that they can just kind of translate, um, you know, labeling information into an aggregate score. And right now they're kind of focusing on health, but I think the next step will be green. And I think, you know, I think the industry is going to have to align on how that stuff is, you know, there's so many different variables. There's, you know, there's the packaging e-commerce adds a level of transport. Um, there's yeah, the recyclability, there's circular economy areas, mm-hmm. but um one of the one of the reasons why I got kind of emboldened to write that article is that one of the big award winners at Con last week is a company called Doconomy, and they have created a platform that brands can use to basically calculate their carbon footprint. Is it perfect? Probably not. Um, interestingly, two years ago I was a juror um, on the Con Innovation Awards and. I happened to get to know the CEO of Economy and they had produced another product that actually set a, um, it w- it set a carbon limit on your credit card purchases. So if you reached a certain threshold, it would, you couldn't purchase anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I think that, that I, I think it's inevitable. And then mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. short term, I think consumer services is going to have to get wickedly smart about that. I think consumers are going to be asking harder more penetrating questions yeah. about carbon footprint at many, many different levels. I frankly think it's a great opportunity. And I think there's going to be some companies uh, that are going to have big advantages. But the key thing is that your group's going to have to get really good at being the broker of that information.
0: Got it. Um, Got it. Yeah. And the good news is, I you know, consumer relations teams don't have to... Always go alone, right? Because you're not, you don't have all that scientific knowledge, Um, but you're going to have to work with the right groups to kind of put that in a snackable um, consumer friendly verbiage for lack of better terms and have those brand ambassadors or whoever's behind that social media post be able to talk the talk and really, and really know what they're talking about. So, yeah. Um, Hey, let's switch gears here. You're now back in Cincinnati, heading up Centrifuge. Yeah, and um, it's been about a little over what, almost three years now, perhaps or something yeah, like that. Two, two and change. Okay, so this is what I know about it. I did some homework. Um, I know it involves startup support and funding opportunities, but maybe for the average, um, maybe for our audience, so you can tell me a little bit more about some of the areas of expertise you provide. And the types of people you serve at a high level, Pete, we, you know, we can also send people to the um, the website too, because I know you probably have a lot of good resources there as well.
1: Yeah, listen, we're trying to build a, a, a globally leading innovation economy in greater Cincinnati. So I'm working with Procter and & Gamble and Kroger and Western and Southern. And I think the presence of a startup economy and innovation economy is incredibly important to talent acquisition, even if they're going to the big companies. And increasingly, there are real competitive advantages of companies working closely with startups. The startups are kind of inventing the future at a time when technology is unfolding at a a rapid pace. I recognize that if we're going to really figure out the future of marketing, future of sustainability, future of health, we're going to have to renegotiate our relationship with vendors and suppliers and so that's kind of what we're doing and we've got a syndicate fund that we manage about 115 million dollars in invested capital from these big co's we invest in the world's top um, venture capital firms and then we kind of take advantage of that expertise those relationships uh to really kind of unlock innovation um and it's a fun job and it's a really interesting time because as you know there's a lot of uh there's a bit of a renaissance going on in the U.S. Midwest around innovation, um, and there's fantastic economics here. So yeah, uh, now I'm kind of a, more of a regional advocate, and it's been a lot of fun. Big challenge, but a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Is it true Cincinnati was among the cities listed as a top innovator in the country? Did I see that recently, or did I make that up?
1: Yeah, quite a few. Um, yeah, it's on it's, uh, most of the like uh, up-and-coming tech hubs, but the one that is probably will probably surprise you the most is that um, we've been rated as one of the most greenest cities in America. And it's just not what you would expect. You'd almost think Rust Belt. Um, But in fact, the city is number one or number two in leads buildings. Um, We've got, uh, you know, both, both, both Kroger and PNG set really Mm -hmm. big moonshot goals around uh, the environment. And so that kind of puts us in a really unique position there. We've got uh, startups like 80 acres that are really in, reinventing the future of sustainable supply chains and food. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm actually, you know, one reason I'm, I'm, I'm clearly passionate about sustainability, but I also have become a bit more of an expert in this area because I'm actually trying to build, I'm trying to use that as the lever to build uh, um, an innovation economy here. And um And the the good news is that it's such a great strategic fit with what a lot of the big companies need to figure out. Um, You probably don't know this, but our airport is now the fastest growing airport in the world. And it's now the number one e-commerce distribution hub in the United States. So in addition to we're like the global hub for DHL and now we're the, the headquarters for Amazon Prime. And what's interesting about e-commerce is that e-commerce is really raising the bar for brands to figure out sustainability, lighter weight packaging, you know, eco-friendly transport, you know. uh, And so I'm actually really excited about the fact that we're becoming what I like to call the the great supply way. And if you're going to be a great supply way, you're going to have to be a great green supply way to be credible in today's
0: marketplace. There you go. Coining another phrase. I'm writing that one down. Hey, how could people get in touch with centrifuge to learn more? What is the website yeah, or just, what
1: just, I mean, centrifuge.com or reach out to Pete at centrifuge.com or let's chat on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. Great. Uh, I'm trying, trying to use clubhouse. I'm not very good at it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, lo- lo- love to help out in any way okay. and, or if anybody in my network can help you, don't. I'm ha- I'm, I'm, I'm always a proud router.
0: Okay, uh, another another phrase, another phrase. You're just coined. I never heard that before. I like to connect people too. I think is what you're what you're saying. Um, exactly. Where are some, yeah. I just got invited to Clubhouse myself, but haven't done haven't done much on it um, or TikTok for that matter. The
1: party's kind of moving. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's starting to move this, uh to. To um, you know, Spotify has Greenhouse, and a lot of the Clubhouses moved over to Greenhouse, and then Twitter's got one. So,
0: oh, um, did not know that. Yeah, I was in a
1: bit of a panic because I've always been this social media influencer, and I like. By the time I got the Clubhouse, God, I just felt like the party already like took place, and I just felt so old and out of date, and yeah. Um,
0: right, I mean, but I'm not agreeing party, with you. The party's already moving.
1: Yeah. It's already moving. I mean a lot of the a lot of the early influencers have already left to go to the twit the the Spotify platform.
0: So staying on that topic for a second, do you think because I heard something recently, do you think you need that consumer services needs to monitor TikTok for comments from consumers on That's their right. products? Are you are oh, you savvy absolutely. on TikTok?
1: I'm not savvy, I'm but not. I, I I I I I am addicted to the green videos and I think, here's what I think brands need to, so take your typical, take the very best brand talking about sustainability and look at the amount of likes they get on LinkedIn. Now, if it's really good, they might get a thousand. You go to TikTok and you watch some teenager unbundle a brand that is either green or not green and you will see like tens of millions of views. It is astonishing. Anybody who is not, listening to that focus group. And absolutely. Now, how do you respond? How do you engage? That's trickier, but you have to know what they are saying. This. And that may very well inform like, Holy smokes, we better address that issue on our FAQ or through our targeted media. And so again, it's just really, um, but <laughs> I am telling you those young content creators are so wickedly creative and insightful and penetrating and there's a lot to learn from them and you know Mm -hmm. they've mastered the art of blending really important content with sticky entertainment
0: yes i was going to say entertainment but sticky that's that's
1: the secret sauce of branding but we know most brands still struggle with that they have to buy their way into it
0: well this is great cuz this stuff dovetail, dovetails into one of my other questions about like how even though I'm not a millennial how do I stay on the cutting edge like what are those resources out there that people in consumer relations can stay on as close to the cutting edge of um, cons- where consumers are and talking so we have homework we've got to listen to our TikTok we've, we've got to listen to um, you know get involved in whatever the clubhouse wherever that party's moving a Spotify greenhouse, but what else? What else could someone like your average consumer relations person, like myself, what podcast should I be listening to? Is there a blog? Um, I know we should be following you on LinkedIn. What else could we do to easily stay close to what's hot? And then we'll, you know, we'll wrap up soon because I know we're getting near the end of our time.
1: Yeah, I would, I would take take a category, and you know, I would think about you know who are the influencers that are really having an outsize impact like who are the um you know who's who's generating the most buzz on twitter that's not a difficult thing to kind of figure out who um who is podcasting that category and why and you may find that it's just like an average you know mom that's just bringing an incredible authority to the table on okay. pet grooming or whatever it is, and that's very insightful. Mm-hmm. You may find that they're actually in your database, but you don't know. But you don't know the connection to them being an influencer. Um, I would absolutely have a handle on who the top, you know, influencers are on TikTok in different ways. Whether it's the green influencers, whether it's the the detractors, the determined detractors. Um, the unbundling pan, you know, there's, there's consumers that just yeah. in every category that want to be the first to get the product and you almost want to give it to them before it officially launches so they can like share the love and let me, Hey, oh my gosh, let me open up the latest, you know, right. but I think you just need to really understand all those different segments and, okay. um, you know, turn over the channels. Yeah. I'll often go like, who's having the biggest impact on Twitter on a topic? And then I would look at who they follow. And that's really, really helpful. You know, and oftentimes you may find a big influencer. They only follow 50 people and, and those are folks that they retweet. That's how they learn. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's all sorts of tricks to kind of figuring out whether you're relevant to the conversation or not Mm -hmm. and who matters and who doesn't. And it's not rocket science. Um, You know, some companies will tell you you need algorithms to do all this stuff, but I'm not so sure.
0: Now, we're going to take it down a notch here. Do you have a volunteer group you'd like to give a shout out to?
1: I will. I will. There's a group in Cincinnati called Last Mile Food Rescue, and they have basically created the Uber of food waste. And they've created an app where, you know, if you have food that is at risk of spoiling, but you're not going to sell it. Um, you can kind of put it on the market and donate it to local groups in need. And it's just taken like a rocket. And I love that. I mean, I love business. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a, I'm a business person like to make money, but I love the fusion of purpose. I love solving social problems with technology. And um, I want this, I want this business to kind of take off. I mean, we, we, they were part of a sustainability accelerator that we created and, uh, and yeah, I think it I think, um, but those are the types of things. Yeah. A big Great. shout out last mile food rescue way have... to go
0: <laughs> last mile food rescue. I love that concept. It's just last mile
1: food rescue. I think they borrow from, uh, a, a platform out of Pennsylvania called food hero, but I'd need to double check on that. Okay. But, um, yeah, if you just type in last mile food rescue, you'll find a little Cincinnati nonprofit that is, a. Uh, Revolutionizing circular economy and zero waste. Um, And I love that. And I, isn't that great? I
0: I love, love that. So glad I asked the question, hung in there and asked you that question. Listen, we are at the end of our time. um, And it's been exciting. I'm exhausted, frankly, Pete, (laughs) but it's all been very mentally stimulating, right? And I have got my homework to do personally and professionally. So much to do coming out of this. And I, I just wanted to say thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, yeah, you it bet. Was, it was you great. Bet. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My
1: Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time.